good afternoon. Good afternoon. Lovely. Right. Um, I've never ever felt a need to do this before, but I think I've today, so many different faces. I'm Richard. Believe it or not, this is my local church. <laughs> and it's been a while since I've been up here. And, um, but I assure you, when I've not been here, it's not been slacking. Um, I, I, I'm part of the chaplaincy team in, um, in an immigration removal centre. And um, so from week to week, I'm down there um, encouraging the guys to um, experience, to take the experience they're going through to, to, um, to evaluate, basically, and see where God is going to take them. And so now I'm here. And it's a blessing to be here in my home turf. And, um, and it's a blessing to be able to come back up. I know, I know, darling. It's all right. But let me, let me kind of start. So we got a theme for Christmas, which is, what are you expecting? And you need to go back to mummy now. Yeah, yeah. So what are you expecting? And um, for me, it's, today, it's, what are you expecting? And I'm thinking about the whole concept of presence. You know, obviously Christmas is about giving and receiving. I know more often in our minds we're thinking about receiving more than we're thinking about giving, especially when we have um, paychecks and, you know, rising inflation and all the rest of it. You know, things are costing more and we're earning less by comparisons. But what are you expecting? For those of us who do the, uh, the marriage course, we're already familiar with that title, because we are already thinking about it, what are we expecting about marriage? And obviously, it ha- comes with it, this whole idea of, maybe my assumptions are not what they really, not really where they ought to be. And I think I want to continue with that theme. And maybe, again, for me, I'm far from the, the, the Scrooge I used to be about Christmas. And I'm a bit more of a, you know what, let's go with the flow. And even though it might not seem like that, bear with me to the end, and you'll see that I'm, I'm, I'm the revived Scrooge. <laughs> Let me start with, a, with a, a, a joke from a comedian, which I, I must have heard this about, oh, good Lord, it must be 20 years ago, but it stuck with me. And, it's, um, and the comedian is Emo Phillips, and he starts this particular part of his skit by saying... I asked my girlfriend, what would she like for her birthday? And she says, I want something crazy, something expensive, and something I don't even probably need. And so he says, I, I, I signed her up for radiation treatment. <laughs> it's expensive, it's crazy especially if you don't need it, and she doesn't really need it. So in that sense, it ticked every single box. Every box. But it was not what she was probably expecting. As a child, I uh, had similar things where 
I guess for the for probably about the first the, the two months leading up. So I guess let's say the, the beginning of November all the way up to Christmas was spent going through the Argos catalogue, <laughs> circling all the things that I would like. Back in the days when the Argos catalogue was that important. There was no internet to look through and, and all the rest of it. So my time, and along with my sisters and my brothers, was, was highlighting that. And obviously we've got to put our name beside the, 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 the thing that we want because obviously we don't want any confusion come Christmas Day. But there was always an aunt or an uncle that would give me a gift that I would put in the frame of, in the bracket of being rubbish. And I kind of, we kind of already know what they are. It's the socks, it's the underwear, and lo and behold, hankies. Hankies. What on earth are we to do with hankies? I'm like seven or eight, you know, and as far as I'm aware, hankies just decorate suits. As, and only suits on special occasions. But lo and behold, as time goes by and winter turns into spring, and the toys that I wanted are long forgotten, broken, or the novelty is already worn off, guess what would come out? All of a sudden, you know, if you've missed the wash and you, you really do must change that underwear today, out comes those socks, those underwear, the hankies stay where they are. Because obviously, again, we've established that that really is a rubbish gift. And we would be in that position where these things are actually quite helpful. Practical gifts. Practical gifts that, in a sense, given time, would show their worth would show their quality, would actually show that they, they actually have our needs in view as opposed to our wants. But gift-giving is not just about the gifts itself, isn't it? Gift-giving is about relationships. In other words, we would hardly expect a gift from somebody we don't know. It would be nice, but again, technically, we are getting gifts from people whom we have relationships with. And we are judging that relationship on the basis of what we are given. The closer the relationship, the higher the price tag. <laughs> now, a spouse is going to be expecting something with a particularly decent price tag. And if they've been doing their window shopping, they know very well how much that gift is worth. And we are watching to see what they give us. Because we are judging our past performance, what we've given over the year, on that gift. Like, a £50 gift? And in their mind, as they smile and say, Ah, thank you. They're like... You know what I've put up with the whole year to get a £50 gift? <laughs> and even then, as the relationships go by, we are judging what people even know about us as well, isn't it? 
that relationship is, have they been watching? Have they been following the clues? Have they followed the subtlety of my argument? Oh, these look worn out. I wonder when I'll ever be able to get to the spa. It's been ages since I've been to the spa. All those things are little clues that are supposed to fulfill a need. Quote unquote need. But obviously the, the more distant the relationship, the less pressure is on. But the relationship is what really actually triggers the gift. So when we think about this, practical gifts, though we might appreciate them as we get older, I certainly do feel a, a, a little bit older and, and realising, yeah, actually that's going to be necessary. As we kind of get to that age where we appreciate practical gifts, we don't want it to be too practical. Breath freshener is a bit too close for comfort. What are you saying? But practical gifts are not bad. But what does this say about my relationship to the ultimate gift giver? If the ultimate gift giver being God, and this is us in his creation, what does he give us? And do we appreciate it? Our text today is going to be in Luke 12. It's a short one. But it will unpack well. I would like to read for you. I'm reading from verse 49 and I'm using the ESV. And I want to begin by praying. Father, we give thanks for, the, for your church being gathered and that your church is the gathering of these people there, Lord God, in whom you have called to be part of the recipient of your gift. And we already know that gift is Christ, Lord. And we give thanks to Lord God that we are gathered, not because of who we are there, Lord God, or who may be leading here there, Lord God, but because of who Christ is. And as we've come gathered around there, Lord God, your sins, Speak to us, O Lord God, because your spirit does speak. Amen. Father, as we want to penetrate to the core of what we might want to appreciate most about this season, O Lord, speak to us about what we should be expecting. Change our minds if necessary, O Lord God. Revive our hearts. Let our passions, O Lord God, not be left behind. May we have a passion to appreciate what Christmas could be, O Lord God, as we put you in the centre. Thank you, Lord God, because this is your work. I thank you for the privilege of being able to come, and I pray you help me to communicate as well as I can. But Lord, where I fail, if I should fail there, Lord God, you make the difference in everyone's lives, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let me read. Verse 49 to 53. I came to cast fire on the earth. And I would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. 
For now, in on, from now on, in one house, there will be five divided against, against two, and two against three. There will be divided father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother-in-law, and against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I know what you're thinking. There's some of you are thinking, that doesn't sound very Christmassy. And there are some of us who says, wow, that sounds just like Christmas in my house. <laughs> but bear with me, because I think actually this gets to the heart of Christmas in a way that I think some texts can't. The kind of key texts that we like to go to. What I want to do is kind of look at the verses and, and maybe give a bit of commentary, but I want to kind of maybe just get there so I can get to the application. So verse 49. I came to cast fire on the earth, and I would that it were already kindled. Fire already brings us this whole idea of judgment. Again, what, you know, what's that got to do with Christmas? But, and especially within the context, if you read before, it talks about the, the context seems to be judgment. But I think that would be maybe misunderstanding another interpretation of fire. And the fire, that being of the spirit. And I believe that though it's possible to interpret it in both ways, and though obviously probably the judgment ultimately could be in view, I also want us to kind of hold to an interpretation that might look at this and say, could this be that Jesus wants the church to be birthed? in the fire of his Holy Spirit. I believe Luke, as we read these chapters and, and, and these verses, is already anticipating acts. And being a part of the church community, I don't believe that Luke was saved whilst Jesus was ministering. And I believe that he is viewing the church back in Jesus' ministry and plucking those things from it that he believes were relevant to the people he was talking to at his time. And so therefore, talking about the final judgment might also be in people's mind, but also people are viewing the day of Pentecost and the baptism of the Spirit. But I think this will come clearer as we kind of go through more of the text. Verse 50 also, I believe, is the baptism of Jesus' passion that will birth the church. The suffering necessary in order to bring us to that place where we can truly be called the sons of God for adoption. He wants to get to that place because that's what he's here for. I like, you know, when we're a man on a mission, isn't it? And I know that, you know, traipsing through London sometimes and I'm a man on a mission, I try to do three or four things in one day. We really sometimes don't have, you know, we, 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 you know when we meet somebody who may distract us and want to keep us on our, you know, we, we might chill for a while, but we, I really want to get to what I need to do. And Jesus is called to chill and to tell people, you know, yeah, this is it, and help people along. But he wants to get to the point. He wants to get to the crux of what he wants to do. 
And this is what he's saying. I, I can't I long to be in that place. As much as it's going to be difficult, I long for my passion. I long for that place where I will be able to see people arrive where I know they need to be. I long to see the church born. Verse 51. Do you think I have come to, give peace, to bring peace? It's framed as a question. And it doesn't necessarily imply that Jesus wants to give the negative. Even though he responds by saying, no, it's, it's actually division. I think what he is doing is he's trying to give us a, a broader understanding of what peace looks like from a heavenly perspective. We need to appreciate the gift giver. And here I want to pause a bit and, 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 and kind of unpack this whole idea of faith, of, of peace. And what Jesus means when he says peace. Famously, John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he came to give his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Important text. God's gift is his son. God's gift was his best. Isaiah 9, 6, 7, 6 to 7 says this, For unto us a child is born. Yeah, that's one of those classic texts. Richard, why didn't you preach from this one? <laughs> For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it. With justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the, the Lord of hosts will do this. And there's also this another text, Luke 2, 13 to 14, and it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Note the qualifier there. To those whom he is pleased. The peace from the very day that Christ was born into the earth was not guaranteed on the basis of that it would be the peace that everybody wanted. It would be the peace that will come to those to whom he is pleased. So what do you think peace means? For some people, it's a world without conflict. Everywhere you're going to hear over the next week or so, you know, we want to pray for peace around the world, that conflicts will come to an end, 
that you know Syria will come to an end, Yemen will come to an end. We want to see those conflicts end. That's for so many people what they believe the Christian view of peace really is. Just that we will bring peace to the earth. And we pray for these things because we do actually want those things to come to an end. But this is not the classic definition of what peace for the Christian is. It's part of it, but it's not all of it. Peace also for some is, is, is us being in a tranquil place. On a beach with nice waves coming in, heat radiating down, my ties not too far away. <laughs> That's peace. Wow. Leaving the office behind. That's another great version of peace, but it's not the whole picture of what Christians are supposed to view as peace. Nice but not good enough. Peace could also mean that time when the children are put to bed and all of a sudden I had to include that one because that's my version of peace. Children are to bed, we can watch what we want to watch, we can put our feet up and do some, something different. That's nice as well. No hassle, nobody on our case. Again, it's a good reflection of what peace looks like in the here and now, but it's not, again, the full definition of peace. In Luke 2, the angel announces that the Messiah will bring peace to the earth, yet Jesus is declaring that he has not come to bring peace, but division. How do we reconcile Luke 2 to Luke 12? Is this a different Jesus? Is this the, the kind of Jesus that is like us, who basically we had every good intention to come and bring peace to the earth, but having lived amongst us, he's already saying, you know what? Bun them. <laughs> you know, we can go into a situation where we have every intention to try and actually help people, and at the end of it, we actually say, you know what? <laughs> Let's just let, it, just let it happen. Let it rain, Lord. Let it rain. That can be the... That, is that what's happening? I don't think this is what Jesus means. But if he was us, it could be. <laughs> but as I've given you a hint already, the qualifier is those with whom he is pleased. It's a very different view. It's a bigger view of what peace might actually look like and how it might miss you. In other words, those who would most greatly appreciate this peace is those who greatly appreciate Jesus as the Messiah, as the Anointed One, as the King of Israel. But what Israel? And what kind of king? These are more important questions. These are the bigger questions we need to unpack. And Israel at the time had a particular assumption about what type of king they wanted. It 
If we're familiar with Luke's underlying theme in his gospel, we know that there is something about ministering to the outcast. Luke greatly views the outsider in his gospel. The people within the community at that time who would have felt they had no place within the covenant of Israel. Women. Those who were diseased. Those who were poor. And those, as anticipated like himself, those who were not ethnic Jews. These were the people that Luke wanted to include in Jesus' ministry as he wrote and documented it. These were the people who wanted to see that Jesus came for you. The ones that knew they needed a saviour. The ones who knew that they were in need of something more than what this world can bring them. Looking at the current government. The ones who were ultimately looking for peace between them and God. The ones who were seeking forgiveness. Luke makes no bones about ridiculing and highlighting the religious elite of the time and exposing them for being less than the religious elite. The ones who don't believe they needed forgiveness. The ones who don't didn't need to be at peace with God because that's already sorted I need something different me and God are alright they had already arrived for this reason the gift of God was more easily discerned by those who actually could see they needed more than the peace that the earth could bring they knew they were not going to get it from from Pontius Pilate. They knew they were not going to get it from the Sanhedrin. They knew they were not going to get it from the priests. They were already excluded from this part of society. Unlike so many of us where citizenship is given, citizenship and all the privileges that come with that were denied to many. They knew not to look to the government to help them. They knew the government was already taking care of those who are up there. So we say not much has changed, right? Israel was expecting a saviour much like David. Hence he was called the son of David. They were looking for a macho king. A warrior king. A king that will come like David came on the scene beating a Goliath. A saviour that will come and be like the humbler of the Romans. Who will bring the sovereignty back. Who will defend the borders. Who will bring back a new golden era that we could rule in and reign and be back in the happy days again. But we had no foreign invaders. A land sovereign and free.
But Jesus didn't seem to do anything about the status quo of the Roman rule. In many ways, when they try to challenge him and trick him into making a decision, either or, he shows us, even especially with who do we pay taxes to? We have a duty to the government of our times and we have a duty to the fact that God, and we are made in God's image, we are God's. If they want the ore that's dug out of the earth, give it back to them. But you belong to God. You're God's. Christ did not flatter the Jews by giving them the gift that they thought they deserved. And I guess this is what we're talking about. The gift that flatters as opposed to the gift that speaks to our need. Don't view my needs as much as I need to be flattered. And our expectations are built upon the gift that flatters. The gift that makes me feel appreciated. As opposed to the gift that makes me appreciate the fact that I am. God's. That makes the difference. That changes the whole course of my life. Everything we see out there, advertisements, try to speak about change that will come into our life because of a product. We have to be honest. This product will change your life. Will make you into a somebody. Will take away your blemishes. Will take away your boredom. Will take away your lack of trendiness. And, though they may appeal to certain aspects of the culture for some of the time, ultimately they fail. These are the gifts that flatter. They may be good things, but they're not necessarily the things that we really need. When you think about what our inner yearnings, our deeper yearnings really are. What do I really need this Christmas? Especially when we're anticipating maybe resolutions coming in January. What will help me to make those things real? Freedom from external enemies was not what Israel really needed. Freedom, in its true sense, was freedom from the self and the life of sin. Freedom from the enemy within. Jesus constantly tells us about it's not what from without that actually causes us to sin, it's what's within. I actually want to change it from the inside out. It's easy to think as well, isn't it? As we, especially for those of us who've gone through the marriage matters, we think that all the externals, if this changes, everything else will change. If they just do this, they just do that then everything will be fine. Not realising that maybe our assumption and our expectations need to actually change. These are the things that actually need to be radically reformed in our lives. And therefore, all of a sudden, we have a new perspective on life. 
but actually doesn't see the glass half empty. A true optimism, not a fake optimism. An optimism that's rooted in the fact that God has changed me and is changing me and will change me, ultimately. True optimism. True hope. Verses 52 to 53 are an allusion from Micah 7. Micah 7 is important to kind of highlight because it, it talks about the division of families. And the context is, is the invasion of Israel at the time of Hezekiah. So the, the Assyrians have come into the land. They have taken northern Israel... They've taken most of the Middle East and now they were around the borders of Judea or the capital Jerusalem. And this is what Micah said. This is what this will bring. It was a kind of a a wake-up call for Judah to actually reform. And he tells them about how we're all huddled together living our lives and cushy lives and then he tells them he tells them that basically it will all come to naught because soon you're all going to be divided. Siege warfare was no joke. When no food is coming in, he's saying that basically the division of your household, every man will be for himself. You think your brother and your sister is going to look after you? When there is, when there is one little carrot in the corner, you'll gouge out the other person's eye to eat it. Because your stomach is more important than relationships. It would be wrong to think that Jesus is carrying this thought into what the kingdom of God would look like. Us all gouging our way in. All of a sudden people go, oh yeah, that's what that scripture means. The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violence suffered by force and we're all kind of <laughs> jumping on top of each other. That's bad biblical theology. It's not competitive. First Corinthians does a lot to kind of change that whole idea that Christianity is not competition. It's not clamoring over one another for status and bigger positions in the church. And neither is Jesus using this to talk about division amongst the church itself. Clamoring for bigger and better status. We all cross the finish line together. That we who have already died will not be in a disadvantage to those who are already living at Christ's return. We all shall meet him in the year. We all cross the finish line together. Very different concepts. <coughs> Jesus is not talking about human survival instinct being the nature of the kingdom of God. Like it is for siege warfare. As loyalties are strained in times. And again, I think that we need to view Acts in Luke's mind here again. He has seen the church. He has seen a new community being formed. First the Jews. Then the Samaritans. Then the Gentiles. He is seeing new things happen that have never happened before in Judah. 
And he knows that the division that Jesus is speaking about is not the division of people clamoring for status. He knows that Jesus has come to bring an Israel about that is more than what people expected. Jesus was not coming for ethnic Israel. As it's stated elsewhere, not all Israel, ethnic Israel, is Israel, spiritual Israel. The new kingdom that Jesus came to bring, the new kingdom that he was ushering in, would be so tight that it would not be the type of kingdom where you can just go like on a geographer's map and say, here is the border of Judah. Here is the border of the new Israel. That's not what he was saying. The new line that will establish those inside and outside of Israel will be right down to the division of families. Think of Jews at the time of the apostles. Mom, Dad, I heard a wonderful message today. This man was speaking in the square and he was telling me about a new kingdom. I'm going to be a Christian. I have become a Christian. No son of mine is going to be a Christian. Obviously, it wouldn't say Christian. None of these people are. That's not part of the covenant. And if you want to be a part of my house, you want to buck up your ideas. Wives telling husbands about the good news they've received. Children trying to convince their parents that they are part of the new Israel, it would bring them division. Families will turn their backs on them and they will say, You are dead to me. You are dead to me. You're not in the covenant, you're outside the covenant. But Luke is telling us that the outsider really is the inside. And those who think that they are on the inside are really actually the outsiders. The division, the line being drawn that will establish the new Israel was so fine that it weaves in between families even. So fine that it kind of misses people out and it goes round and it goes not beyond, not, it doesn't just go around Judah. It doesn't just go around the Middle East. It goes to the ends of the earth. The new church would be drawn. Not how men draw territories and how men draw the boundaries of a new nation. This new nation is spiritual. This new nation is the church with a capital C. And it ducks in and out between all the different peoples to this very day. The peace that Israel was seeking, the 
peace that Israel was expecting, Jesus had to correct them. You need a bigger vision of what peace is. The peace that the Son brings is peace between you and God. Not the peace where we have all of our problems removed, all of the external issues removed. That may come. And if it does, praise God. But that's just gravy. The meat of the matter is, how are you with God today? Are you accepting the peace that the Son has brought between you and Him? Are you part of the new Israel? Is that what you want? So what do we take away from this? Well, the kingdom of God that the Son creates, the gift of peace between you and God, It's not established by ethnicity. It's established by spirituality. If God is the good gift giver, then this is what he has done. He has opened the borders of Israel and the covenant to receive us all. Those who are not just he is pleased with, who is pleased to receive them who are pleased to receive the gift that doesn't flatter us. So many people come to Christianity for different things. They think it will be like this great makeover for them. It will help them find peace in their hunt for a spouse or a, a job that needs to come. It will, just be, it will just refine them. Give them that little bit of extra... that's the peace, just like those Israelites it, it may come but it would not be the peace that Christ is offering it's the peace between you and God is it well between you have you received the son in all his glory Do you see what I mean if we don't correct our perspective on gifts that flatter as opposed to gifts of necessity? And looking at the relationship and seeing that someone actually appreciates us more than we would because they refuse to flatter us. God refused to flatter Israel. It was not beyond the power of God to make them a sovereign nation. They had been under the rule of Babylon. They had been under the rule of the Persians. They had been under the rule of the Greeks. And now they were under the rule of the Romans. It was not beyond God to give them freedom. But that was not the freedom they needed. That would have been the gift that flattered if he did. To move you beyond the gift that flattered, he gave them the gift that they needed. Caesar could be a king. Caesar can rule over you. But know that I am your king. And it's well. And it is well. So what do we do this Christmas with this type of message? Well, hopefully, we'll have a greater appreciation of what it means to receive the gift of peace from Christ. As the angels promised, peace to whom... He is pleased. 
that we would pursue the peace, not just the peace that stops conflicts, not just the peace that, that, that gives us tranquility, and not just the peace that gives us no hassle, but the peace between you and God. Is that the heart of the matter? What are you thankful for this Christmas? That I have peace with God. I've received the gift of the Son. And all is well with me. Hopefully it will help us to appreciate practical gifts as well. The gifts that don't just flatter. The gifts that we think show that we care. Hopefully we will put the things we really need at the top of our lists and the things that we we would want, we would like at the bottom. That our gift giving would be based on a relationship that understands that the most important thing is that I minister to what you really need more to what, than to what you want. See, I don't know whether people really cared whether I had underwear or not to turn to a light or not. But it's the gift that when you look back, you actually say, this actually fills a need for a longer period of time than anything else. I hope when we give our own gifts this year that it would have in mind what that person and that, that relationship would speak about what it means to receive a gift that is well thought through. If God be in the true and greatest gift giver is an example to us, then we will realize that it's the gift that does not flatter that actually will be the most appreciated if people understand who we are and why we do it. Let's set our expectations where God hopefully has placed our hearts. Our heart and our desire for the best gift possible. Let's pray. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.